Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter four. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everyone. Welcome tonight to our study of Romans chapter four. To understand Paul, we must understand what circumcision and what the law meant to first century Jews. You are not justified by your circumcision. You are not justified by the law of Moses. We are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. God put forward Jesus as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now an expiation, the act of making amends, reparation for guilt or wrongdoing, a public act of expiation, reparation, restitution, recompense, requital, all those synonyms, an expiation by the blood of Jesus to be received by faith. So you have that great big whole big Bible in front of you. And there is an old covenant and there is a new covenant. And that whole big Bible points to one thing. And that thing is the blood of Jesus Christ, an expiation by the blood of Jesus to be received by faith. So last week we reviewed in depth the Abrahamic covenant, and that should have helped you this week. God took Abram into broad daylight, showed him the stars, and assured him that his own descendants with Sarai would be that numerous. And Abram believed God. Abram's faith in God's word was credited to him as righteousness. And Abram was put into a deep sleep, and God alone took on the entirety of the blood covenant. Many years later, that blood covenant will be fulfilled in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. The blood covenant would depend solely on the faithfulness of the second person of the Trinity and the whole Trinity working together. God's covenant with Abraham would be fulfilled through the blood of Jesus Christ, starting with that first blood of his circumcision under the law on the eighth day as the son of Abraham and his flogging under the order of Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Let every drop of that blood to be mopped up by Mary, his mother, and the women who followed him. The blood from his head, his precious head, the soldiers pliated a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they struck him with their hands, yelling, Hail, King of the Jews. The Jews answered Pilate, We have a law. And by that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. We have a law. Jesus was born under the law. Paul tells the Galatians, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so we could all be made sons by adoption. The Jews answered Pilate, we have a law and by that law he ought to die. So Jesus was born under the law and Jesus will die under the law, the Jewish law, the Jewish high priest. This man, Jesus, is charged with what? Under the law? Blasphemy. The crime is blasphemy. He has made himself out to be the son of God. So they took Jesus. He's sentenced to death. He bears his own cross and goes to the place of a skull 
which is in Hebrew called Golgotha. We see in the sixth station of the cross, the blood on his face that Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. We see the blood spurt from his hands as they're nailed into the cross. We see the blood dripping from his wounded feet nailed to the foot of the cross. We see his mother Mary, faithful to the end, standing at the foot of the cross. The soldiers, St. Longinus, the Roman soldier, comes and spears him, and blood and water gush from his pierced side onto his mother and St. John. He, Jesus Christ, is the third and final temple that Ezekiel 43 predicted. Jesus is the final blood sacrifice and the water of baptism, the Eucharistic blood that flows from the final temple of his body. <laughs> that temple, the temple in Jerusalem, has been gone since 70 AD. Gone. Jesus was the final temple. Blood and water gushed forth from his pierced side and sprayed his mother in the face. Jesus spoke of the temple of his body in John 2. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So you could imagine him being deposed from the cross, his bloody body into Mary's arms and Mary is given the first taste of the blood of salvation. Uh, at the feast day of the guardian angels, when I went to mass, it was called in the preface, the chalice of salvation. And we see paintings, the guardian angels collecting every drop of his precious blood on the cross. I love those paintings of the angels catching every drop from each wound. God made a blood covenant with Abraham, and the blood covenant was dependent on God alone. Why blood? Well, when Adam and Eve were banished from the divine life with the Trinity, God had cursed the ground. Not Adam, but God had cursed the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. The sweat of your face, by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread, until you return to the ground. Adam is going to return to the cursed ground and that's where he'll be trapped. The ground is cursed and the preternatural gifts are absent and they know they're not in Eden anymore. But God, the father of life, the author of life, allows them the gift of becoming one flesh and co-creating with God. They were one flesh with God and Eve becomes the mother of all the living. She will get the privilege in her womb to bear life. And they are covered with skins. In God's great mercy, before they're banished, before they leave the garden, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins. Let's talk about that for a minute. If God clothed them with animal skins in Genesis 3, then the animals were the first blood creatures to sacrificially die on behalf of another. The Animals were killed to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness with their skins, and the animal blood was sacrificed to God to atone for their sin. So the animal skins covered their transgression of shame and nakedness. That was so merciful of God. Adam was the king over all creation. God let him name all the animals. Adam was going to now be a prophet to his family, and Adam would also be a priest for his family. A priest, a prophet, and a king, as all of us are by our baptism. The priest is an intermediary between sinful humanity and holy God, one who offers sacrifice on sinful man's behalf in atonement for sin. So with Adam acting as priest, the family learned to offer animal blood for atonement for their sin. The blood of the animal would make an expiation and God would accept the life of the animal instead of the life of the sinner. So it was an atonement, a redemption, a reparation, a requital, however synonym you want to call it. But Adam and Eve's sons learned how to sacrifice to 
to God. We know that because in Genesis chapter 4, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now remember, that's cursed ground. And Abel brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. So we see the comparison. Cain, in the course of time, when he got around to it, he gave fruit from the cursed ground. Abel gives his firstling, the first, the best, with all the fat portions and the living blood. And God was pleased and accepted that. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Why are you so angry? Said the Lord to Cain. Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let's go out to the field. The Lord wants blood, Cain will show him blood. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain said, I don't know. And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of innocent human blood. Animal blood is one thing. Innocent human blood is quite another. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of human lifeblood of your innocent brother. Innocent human blood, my friends, screams out loudly to God. And the voice of innocent human lifeblood still screams out loudly to God. And now, Cain, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And you will till the ground. It shall no longer yield to you its strength. You're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So the ground was cursed from Adam. Now the cursed ground will not yield any food for Cain. Cain says it's more than he can bear. But the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now imagine the voice of this innocent blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of this brother of ours crying out to God. He's another son of Adam. And his innocent blood cries to God. And we're siblings to Jesus Christ. He says to Mary Magdalene, go tell your father and my father. Imagine the voice of this innocent brother's blood crying out to God. And God fully heard that cry. God fully accepted that innocent blood sacrifice as sufficient once for all, for all people of all time. And in the first Eucharistic prayer, the priest says, accept father, accept our sacrifice as you once were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant, Abel, the just. Now they took Jesus out, bearing his own cross to the place of a skull. That skull at the base of that mountain is Adam's skull. And there's a chapel of Adam's skull right under the place where Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. There is, it's called the chapel of Adam and the blood ran down Jesus' body and uncursed the cursed ground beneath his feet. The blood dripping down onto the skull of Adam would uncurse the cursed ground and bring Adam and all humanity to eternal life in the Trinity. But nothing Nothing but the blood of Jesus could do that. Zeus couldn't do it. The Greek god of all gods, Roman's counterpart Jupiter, couldn't do it. The Roman emperors who declared themselves as little g gods couldn't do it. None of Herod's family did it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus would be the expiation for sin of humanity. That precious blood of God's only begotten son, not made but consubstantial with the Father and crying out to God. 
God made a blood covenant with Abraham. The blood covenant was dependent on God alone. The innocent, precious, once for all blood of Jesus that cries out to the Father for our redemption is the chalice of our salvation. The power is in the blood of Jesus, the precious, precious blood of Jesus. Peter says, you know you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So all throughout that old covenant, there's an old priesthood, it's Levitical. In the new covenant, there's a new priesthood. It's the order of Melchizedek, but it's the priesthood of the high priest, Jesus Christ. And we see animal blood sacrificed throughout the entire Bible. When Abel dies, Cain is banished further east. Adam and Eve's next son, Seth, is going to pick up and follow the way of the Lord. And he will offer blood sacrifice. Why blood? The life of the creature is in the blood. We see in the scriptures how the patriarchs built altars of sacrifice to the Lord, starting with our parents, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah immediately after the 40 days of flooding built an altar to the Lord, Abraham and Isaac built an altar to the Lord, and the Lord God accepted in the place of Isaac, the blood of the ram, in the place of the human blood of Isaac. It was animal blood all through. Jacob built altars, and the first law concerning the altar was recorded by Moses in Exodus chapter 20. So to understand Paul, we have to know circumcision and we have to know the law and what it meant to the first century Jew. Circumcision was given first through Abraham. The law came some 430 years later through Moses. Remember, God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. But then Abraham was put into a deep, sound sleep, and the covenant was solely dependent on the faithfulness of God. God alone passed through the blood of the split animals, a cloud of vapor and flame. The blood covenant would be dependent on the faithfulness of God. But the Lord told Abram, know as a surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be slaves there. They will be oppressed for 400 years. So last year, our Genesis study ended with the patriarch Joseph. We left Genesis with Joseph, the viceroy, second in command in Egypt. The very next book, Exodus, begins with Moses, the deliverer. 430 years have passed since Abram. And there's a new king over Egypt. Egypt who did not know Joseph, and the people are getting too many and too mighty. Let us deal shrewdly with them and put taskmasters over them and heavy burdens. But the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they made their lives bitter bitter with hard work, slavery, and, and they tried to, to oppress them and enslave them and hold them in bondage. But God's promise to Abraham, they will be oppressed for 400 years. But in Exodus 2, we hear that the Israelites were groaning under their bondage and crying out to God for help. And God heard their cry. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel and God knew their condition. In Exodus 12, we hear that the time that the people of Israel dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. They exited 
their bondage. They did not have the law of Moses, but they did have the circumcision of Abraham. So 430 years, the Jews are in bondage in Egypt. And here's what Paul tells the Galatians. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And that promise, my friends, was Isaac, laughter. When God said, so shall your offspring be, and Abraham believed by faith. Now, Jesus, a son of Isaac, a son of Abraham, Jesus will be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham by faith. But it will take many, many, many years for us to see that promise fulfilled. It'll take faith, faith that a Messiah is coming, an anointed one, one promised by God in the line of Abraham, from the loins of Abraham. The blood covenant would depend solely on the faithfulness of God. Faith came before the circumcision, the sign for Abraham. Circumcision was given first through Abraham. The law came 430 years later through Moses. Before the law, though, and this is really important, before that law is given to Moses, God gave Moses first the Passover. 430 years have passed. Baby Moses is set in the Nile to, for his life to be spared. Pharaoh's killing all the boy babies. And the Egyptian queen, Pharaoh's daughter, finds baby Moshe and draws him from the water. And Moses will become the deliverer of the Israelites in Egypt. And God will impose 10 horrible plagues on Egypt, delivered to Pharaoh by Moses, each one progressively worse, and each one making Pharaoh's heart harder and harder and harder, until number 10, the, the, the death of the firstborn. And this is when God gives the Passover. The Passover was given before the law was given. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs in the evening. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat the lambs, because the Lord will pass through to slay the Egyptians this night. And when he sees that the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over your door and he will not allow the destroyer to enter your house and slay your firstborn. You shall observe this right as an ordinance for you and for your sons. How long? Forever. This will be a perpetual forever ordinance. The angel of death did pass over their homes, those that had their doors marked with the blood of the lamb, but those who did not, the angel of death entered and the firstborns were killed. This was the Passover. And we know when we studied Exodus, it's a foreshadowing of Christ and the blood of the lamb on the lintels of the cross. And that final Passover lamb, Jesus's last supper was a Passover. He himself was the sacrificial lamb that night. Jesus Jesus, the final Lamb of God who would take away the sins of all the world. And happy are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb of God. Now, back in temple times, there were always animal sacrifices going on day and night, day and night, day and twilight, always, always, always lambs being offered. But Passover was different. Passover was a special, special feast that the Jews never, ever wanted to forget. And of all the Jewish feasts, Passover was by far the bloodiest. Samaritans still celebrate Passover. So I have some photos for you. These are Samaritans in present day celebrating Passover. But you would get your lamb or your goat and you see 
every single family needs one. So it's this is just in a small village, but you can imagine Jerusalem at the time of Jesus in the first century where every family in all of Israel was coming to Passover with their lamb to offer in temple times a sacrifice unto the Lord, a perpetual ordinance. The temple was set up just for this. Animals were to be sacrificed, slaughtered, skinned, and the innards, the inner parts removed and washed. And so pilgrims were coming to the holy city, the city of peace, Jerusalem, from all over Israel. It was required feast day. All males had to come and bring a lamb for their household. You can imagine the hustle and bustle in the crowds in the streets. Every man, according to their father's house, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You will take it from the sheep or from the goats. So there were lots of sheep and goats for sale, one-year-olds with no blemish. And the people, this is Jesus is in the temple area at the time of the Passover in John chapter 2. And he is so angered by, they've made his father's house into a marketplace. The money changers are ripping off people. The exchange rate, I'm sure they've got them over a barrel. They need their lambs. So Jesus makes a whip of cords and he drives them all out of the temples and zeal for his father's house consumes him. But every Jewish male in Israel is bringing a lamb or a goat to the temple to be sacrificed. And blood was drained and animals were slaughtered and skinned and inner parts removed and then the animals washed down with water. A typical sheep or goat has about four gallons of blood coursing through their body. So God, the eternal living one, must be approached with the blood of an innocent life to cover the sin of the offending party. And the Levitical priesthood would offer to God the atoning innocent lamb blood on behalf of the people that death might pass over them and they would remember forever how God freed them from bondage of Egypt. The carcass was given back to each family for roasting and for eating their own Seder meal as a family. The blood of the lamb took away water washed away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to the supper of the lamb, the Passover lamb, because death has passed over them and God has freed them from bondage. They were covered by the blood of the lamb. Now, where did all that lamb blood go from the temple mount? There was a special drainage system for animal blood at the temple. The blood channel and the drainage ditch, it was on the east side of the temple and down to the south to the Kidron Brook below. The temple's high and and it's on the east side and then south to to the brook. Most blood came from the area of the racks or hooks where the animals were hung to drain the carcass of the remaining blood. It wasn't a small amount of blood during feast time. But on Passover... There were two drains at the base of the altar at the temple, and they were intentionally plugged or stopped up by the priesthood. The lamb blood with the drains plugged got deeper and deeper and deeper as more and more and more lambs or goats had their throats slit and their drug blood drained. The Passover called for the barefooted priest to walk on the holy ground through the innocent lamb blood that was at least ankle deep or higher on Passover day. Now, what did walking through that blood remind the priests of? God's blood covenant with Abram. Abram prepared the sacrifice. He drained all the blood of the animals as God had prescribed him to do. But when Abraham had all the bloody carcasses split and ready, God put Abram into a deep sleep and the blood covenant would be dependent on God alone passing through the blood. 
this really was the first Passover, 430 years before there was ever a Passover with Moses. In Exodus 12, listen, the time that the people of Israel dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That's the day they were released. That was Passover. On that very day, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. To do this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel through their generations. This was the original or the pre, the pre-Passover, the event that would foreshadow a typology really for Passover. The Passover was 430 years later to the day on that very day they escaped Egypt. This was the original Passover with Abram 430 years before to the day before Moses. Now, when that temple was finally built in Jerusalem, Passover was celebrated in the temple as a required Jewish feast day. Passover was the bloodiest of all God's feasts. The priests were a go-between between God and the people. The priest would walk through the blood, reminding the people of God's promise, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses. The final fulfillment of God's word would be the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ as foreshadowed here with Abraham, as foreshadowed here with Moses. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the anointed Messiah, the final Passover lamb of God. Paul says to the Corinthians, for Christ, our Paschal lamb has been sacrificed. There was so much blood to dispose of after a Passover feast in Jerusalem. How did they clean up all that lamb blood for each yearly Passover? Well, after all the lambs had been slaughtered, the temple would need cleansing and the priest would remove the plugs from the drain holes leading to the shishin at the base of the altar and gallons upon gallons upon gallons of lamb blood would descend into pits. This pit drainage system is referred to in the Hebrew writings as the shishin, pronounced shishin in the plural. And in the Mishnah, we're told that it is recorded there are two openings at the base of the altar and into those two cavities drained the blood, poured at the base down into the Shishin where they were emptied out into the Kidron Brook. The Kidron Brook is a small stream that runs in the Kidron Valley to the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem and descends southward from there toward the Dead Sea. A detail is also mentioned in the Mishnah that at the base, at the altar's base, they could enter there into the cavity, the blood pit, and they could clean it. So a water channel that fed the temple courtyard would be opened and a sudden influx of water pressure would flood the courtyard with fresh cleansing water and the lifeblood of so many lambs would be rinsed from the temple courtyard down into the depths of the Shishin where it would burst forth from the drain in a powerful gush of blood and water and run into the Kindrum Brook. This is quite a visual for all the pilgrims to pass over in Jerusalem year after year. This large amount of blood and water gushing from the eastern side of the temple. Blood and water flowing from the eastern side of the temple and down into the Kidron Brook and Valley and out to the Dead Sea. After the lambs were finally all slain in the temple courtyard, the priests removed the plugs and they opened the water channel to flood the courtyard and wash away the crimson trace of blood down the drain and it would appear to observers outside the temple that the temple was actually bleeding blood and water flowing out the eastern side of the temple of God. The temple channel and the drainage dish 
out the east side of the temple and down to the brook and out to the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is absolutely the lowest place on the face of the earth. Uh, the Dead Sea Depression is in three countries, Israel, Jordan, and Syria. It's 413 meters below sea level. It's the lowest place on the face of the entire earth and that's where the blood ends up. So salty is the Dead Sea that absolutely nothing can live in it. The blood and the water flow directly into the Kidron Brook through the Kidron Valley like a drainage ditch and eventually out to the Dead Sea. That was part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter four, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.